0: What's up y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Max Mahaffey has been an athletic trainer for 15 years. He works with the Sugarland Skeeters, which just became the minor league affiliate for the Houston Astros. And he, uh, he also works uh, in the physician practice setting and during his offseason. He has a couple other experiences, but he's going to uh, do a presentation today about the emerging practices, emerging settings. emerging And then we're going to just go over some questions and topics there. So, again, like I said, he's 15 years, been working with Memorial Hermann for about nine of those years. Also, he works with Lamar Consolidated ISD as a liaison. So, essentially helping kids or student athletes get the medical care they need and expediting the process. Just making it so that it's easy to communicate to get those doctor notes or get kids in whenever they have a need. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash emerging settings. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash emerging settings. And I'm your host, Jeremy Jackson. So, Max, welcome to the show. And I know you've been on before when we did the update sports medicine update at the Memorial uh, Herman workshops. So, welcome back. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on. All right. Anything I missed in your intro there, Max?
1: No, no, you hit all the high points, man. Uh, Like I said, been been an athletic trainer for just over 15 years now. Uh, Been with Memorial Hermann almost just under nine nine years in January. Uh, My official title with Memorial Hermann is outreach athletic trainer, but through Memorial Hermann, I'm the head athletic trainer for the Skeeters and for about five years during the off season, I worked as a physician extender, uh, which is now called athletic trainer and physician practice, uh, with Sugarland, Memorial Hermann Sugarland primary care sports medicine with doctors, Rahal Bajani, Joe Mandola, and Abhi Davlapur And, uh, currently doing some work with Lamar Consolidated ISD as their liaison between their high school athletic training staffs and Memorial Herman. So uh, technically not working in clinic right now, you know, with, with all the COVID-19 stuff going on, a lot of things changed over at Primary Care Sports Medicine. So currently not working in clinic with Dr. D'Avlapour but still just doing mostly working with the Lamar consolidated schools and their athletic training staffs.
0: All right. Well, what do you got for us today?
1: Got a, got a little presentation here. Uh, it's called athletic trainers in a physician practice. And we're going to talk briefly about what that role is and what my role was as an athletic trainer, working with the physicians in clinic. So, uh, don't have any disclosures, finan- uh, financial conflict of interest, nothing like that. So, what what is what is this setting? So, this is formerly known as the physician extender. Uh, this this position, you know, started in the late '70s, and in recent years, the NATA wanted to change that name from a physician extender to an AT in a physician practice because there are so many so many positions that can be classified as a physician extenders you know some of those positions include a medical assistant um, a physician's assistant a nurse practitioner so to kind of differentiate between that they took uh, they took the name physician extender away and made us call it called us a an athletic trainer in a physician practice. So an AT in a physician practice is considered an emerging setting in the NATA. And there are several emerging settings classified by the NATA. And these, an emerging setting can be described as any non-traditional role that an athletic trainer works in. So this can be healthcare administration, There are athletic trainers that are in the military, there are ATs that are in performing arts, public safety, occupational health and corporate wellness. There's the industrial setting, I have a couple colleagues that I've done some work with that work in the local Frito-Lay plant here in Rosenberg. You know, there are athletic trainers that work with NASA. So there are several different settings and several areas that you can work as an athletic trainer that aren't necessarily your typical high school or collegiate traditional sports setting. So the athletic trainer that works in clinic works under the directive of a physician. And technically, all of us as athletic trainers work under the du- directive of a physician, So this can, in clinic specifically, it can be a primary care sports medicine clinic, it can be an orthopedic clinic, it can also be a physical therapy clinic. And technically, you know, that's a PT clinic wouldn't be considered a physician practice, but the PTs still work under the directive of a physician in most settings. So I took this pretty much straight from the NATA website, and this is just a breakdown of the percentage of all of the ATs uh, according to the NATA survey. And you can see the traditional settings up top have the, have the big chunk of the athletic trainers. And then you go down professional sports and the emerging settings, uh, you can see that a very small percentage of ATs, only 2%, reported working in any of those emerging settings so it's definitely a setting that is still new and still growing within the athletic training community Uh, but i think it's important for for athletic trainers to know especially that the the young ats coming up that you don't necessarily have to work in the traditional setting there are several other options out there so what knowledge and skills what an athletic trainer need to be able to work in clinic so the durable medical and equipment or dme program that's basically measuring and fitting devices documenting for possible reimbursement measuring the value of the athletic trainer for the for the program Uh, the athletic trainer needs to understand and Express knowledge in how to do these things and how to use the braces, splints, crutches, canes, walkers, etc. Needs to be able to explain that to all to the to each of the patients as they come into clinic. So we talked about uh all the different things that they need to be able to do in the clinic. We, need, we also need to be able to remove casts in some, cast and splints in some settings. Uh, the, the big thing that I really focused on was making sure that the patient understood the diagnosis and the treatment plan that we were going to provide. Got to make sure that we get all the proper, proper documentation as far as school notes, work notes, workers comp forms because a lot of that stuff can be very confusing. So we need to make sure that the patient and or their parents always have a good understanding of what's going on and the paperwork and the forms that they're going to get. We also need to understand basic operating room policies. If you're an athletic trainer that works works with an orthopedic surgeon and you get to go in at surgery, Need to know the scrubbing in procedures, patient, presi- patient positioning transfers, st- sterile versus non-sterile environments, anything that would go along with a patient that would have surgery. So next I want to talk about the physician practice Vault value model, the PPVM. And this is basically the manual for what an athletic trainer does in this role. So I didn't even know that this existed. I didn't even know what this was until I started researching for this presentation uh, about a year or so ago. And as I read it and, you know, kind of studied about what it was, uh, it, it pretty much says word for word exactly what we do as ATs in that setting. It, it lines out uh, pretty basic. So if you, if you get a chance to look at this and if you're interested in this setting, then I really suggest that you would take a look at this, uh, pull it from the NATA website. It was very informative. So like I said, it, it really outlined what I did as an AT in that setting. So what do I do in that setting? So glad you asked. So my responsibilities as an athletic trainer, when I worked in clinic, the the patient would get brought back, the MA would do their vitals, and then I would go in, I would get the history, uh, history of present illness, I would do the physical exam, I would give them my initial ses- assessment or the differential diagnosis, what the possible treatment options were and answer any initial questions that that patient might have at that time. So after I go in and do my thing with a patient, I would come out and talk to the doctor. We would form a plan together. He would go in, give his final say-so, and then we would move forward with that plan. So we would talk about whether we would need to get any imaging a home exercise program versus formal therapy or both. If it was a head injury, close head injury or concussion situation, we would talk about return to play protocols. Uh, we would talk about uh, ortho referrals, any, <clears throat> excuse me, any in-office procedures such as a corticosteroid injection, uh, compartment testing, ultrasound imaging, even PRP now we can do right there in clinic. So anything that we could do in office, we would talk about that as well. So pros and cons of working in this setting. Uh, you know, I was very fortunate over, over the five years that I worked in clinic during the off season, I was very fortunate to work with three very knowledgeable physicians. Uh, I mentioned them earlier, Drs. Rahal Bajani, Joe Mandola, and Abidab and all of their staff were just fantastic. They made it we, – we tried to make it as easy as possible for kids, student athletes, and their parents to come in and get seen. Uh, the, one of the good things about this setting is that you have a set schedule. Anybody who's worked in athletic training for any amount of time knows that the hours, they can be pretty demanding. And so this type of setting allowed a set schedule. We did normal normal doctor's office hours, Monday through Thursday from 8 to 8 am. to 5 pm. And Fridays we went from 7 am. to 3 or 4 pm. Saturdays we would have a clinic during football season that we would run uh, for about a half a day. And it, it really opened up the schedule. And that also gave me some freedom to pick up any per diem work that I wanted to, uh, work some extra stuff around, around the area, extra cash, which is always good. You know, I, I got to see a very wide variety of patients. When you're in a traditional sports setting, uh, whether at secondary school or college or professional, you see the same demographic of patient uh, for the most part. But in in the clinical setting, I got to see I got to see patients anywhere from five years old to ninety-five years old. You know, the the vast difference between a pediatric patient and a geriatric patient. Uh, I got to see a lot of Gen Med cases that I normally wouldn't see in the athletic training room. Uh, so the the experiences that I got to encounter in clinic, I thought were, were invaluable. They, they were fantastic. So a couple of the things that I, when I first started working with clinic, I remember specifically telling Dr. Bajani, you know, I wanted to get better at concussion evaluation and I wanted to get better at the spine evaluation. Well, be careful what you wish for, because in clinic, we saw a lot of concussions and we saw a lot of neck and back pain. And so you'll notice I've got concussions listed under my pro and con. You know there were there were some times when we when we would leave clinic during football season at the end of the day, and I'm like, man, if I have to do one more scat right now, I'm gonna lose my mind. So uh, it definitely definitely got better in those areas. Uh, one of the cons, probably the biggest con that I found. Working in clinic was the public's lack of knowledge of what an athletic trainer is, what we do, and the, the type of skill set that we can provide. Uh, there were definitely times when I would walk in walk in the door to see, to see a patient, and they would kind of look at me and be like, hey, you're not Dr. Bajani. <laughs> you know, so I would have to explain to them, hey, uh, Mr. Jackson, my name is Max. I'm the athletic trainer that works here with Dr. Bajani. I'm going to check out your ankle today, and most of the time they'd be totally fine with it. Uh, They they just don't 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 know who you are. Sometimes we would have those patients that were just dead set on seeing uh, seeing the doc, uh, which whichever doc that was, you know, they were dead set on seeing that doc, and they didn't want to see anybody else. Okay, that's fine, no big deal. It's not the end of the world. But that was definitely something that we that we encountered and something that I had to get used to. Uh, as I as I gained more experience in this area, I, I always had to remember and remind myself, you know, they're not here to see me. They didn't take a half day off of work and make an appointment to see Max. They came to see Dr. Mandola or Dr. Bajani or Dr. D'Avlapore. So I had to remember that they were, they were taking time out of their day to see their doctor. So if they weren't really prepared to see an athletic trainer or to, or to see somebody else, I just had to take that time to explain it. So I mentioned, you know, we saw a lot of concussions. We saw a lot of neck and back pain. Spent a lot of time uh, telling, talking to, to patients from the general public that don't know a whole lot about keeping good posture and good ergonomical things like that. Uh, that we would, that we would teach them. So uh, next I want to talk briefly about third party reimbursement. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail here because we didn't, we didn't do third party reimbursement at Memorial Herman. So you hear a lot about ICD 10 codes and CPT codes and what those are and what they mean so the 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 difference between the ICD or the international classification of disease codes those are the codes that the physician uses as a diagnosis okay the CPT codes are the current procedure terminology codes those are the modifier codes that the physician puts in as the as the doctor's orders or the plans of what We are going to do so the the code that you might be most familiar with is 97110 which is therapeutic exercise for 15 minutes okay so this is the code that the physician would put in if i were to teach that patient a home exercise program okay the the codes are not profession specific So if we were in a billing setting, the physician would need to put in 97110 therapeutic exercise taught by athletic trainer for 15 minutes. And if it went over 15 minutes, uh, then he would put it in twice or put in for 30 minutes. But he had to specify or it would not get billed in that billing setting. There, There are a lot... There's a lot that goes on with the CPT codes uh, and the, the hospital and wh- whichever, whichever entity you work with needs to be able to work that into their billing system. Like I said, we did not third-party bill for it, but what we did in clinic was we used that 97110 code as a way to, to track how many patients – that we gave home exercise programs to. Okay. So when you talk about the, the financial impact of putting that code in or the financial impact of the athletic trainer in the clinic, you, you talk about worth and value. Those were the two words that I saw the most when I was looking, looking at all this information. So Worth, by definition, is the monetary cost of a service. Value is the extent to which a service's worth is perceived, okay? So an AT working in that clinic increases increases the physician efficiency by performing the evaluations and doing those non-billable tasks, which in turn allows the physician to put more people on their schedule or optimize their time for more of the billable tasks. Therefore proves the value of the athletic trainer to the physician. Now this also allows the mid-level providers, if there's a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner that works in that clinic, they can carry, they can work autonomously and carry their own patient load. Uh, and also utilize, utilize that athletic trainer if they need it. Therefore, bringing more patients into clinic and more, more billing units. There was the, the main study or the big document that I looked at, there was a study uh, performed by Pecha et al. Uh, it was called, and I'd be happy to share this with you later, but the, the title of it was Physician Satisfaction with residency-trained athletic trainers as physician extenders. And basically what they did is they took um, they took two primary care sports medicine physicians and tracked them over a 12, 12-month period, six months with an MA and six months with an athletic trainer. And what they found was increased encounters during clinic collections with the – athletic trainer in clinic. So you can see some numbers we threw up there. Uh, this is they, they found that the physicians in that clinic were able to see 18 to 22% more patients per day, which was an increase of anywhere from $200 to $1,200 per day, uh, which worked out to about 42% of an increase. So we ran our own numbers one year, uh, fiscal year 2018, with Dr. Bajani, and it was kind of similar, six months on, six months off, but if you looked at the six months that I was in clinic, which was October to April, we saw 1,834 patients. For the six months, April to October, that I was not in clinic, we saw 1,659, which is only a difference of 175 patients. Which, to be all honest, I thought would be greater. But when you look at the time frame, those summer months clinic is not going to generate as many student athletes because uh, sports sports aren't nearly as busy during June and July. So maybe that accounts for something. Maybe it doesn't. But when we look, when we put a dollar amount on that 175 patients it was estimated at $17,150 of revenue generated during that time. So if you multiply that by 2 assuming for a 12 month period, you know, $34 $35,000 for that year. Uh, just to give an idea of of what of what that athletic trainer helped bring in. Now, that only that only tracks the patients that we put the rehab code on. So if we did not prescribe a home exercise program for that patient, then that patient, I guess, didn't get tracked as being seen by the athletic trainer. Maybe that has something to do with the numbers also, maybe it doesn't, who knows. So the, uh, f- from the physician standpoint, a secondary benefit of having the AT and clinic is that the, the practice had document, documentation from patients, patient satisfaction surveys, uh, increased patient satisfaction uh, regarding the teachings of the home exercise program. That seemed to be the biggest thing that patients responded well to uh, when they were being seen. Because sometimes they would be given exercises and not explain how to do them, but the the home exercise program is what seemed to get the biggest increase in patient satisfaction. There's a list of my references right there. I know I kind of sped through a lot of that. I'd be happy to share any of this with y'all if you want to. And that's about all I have on my end. Uh, There's my humble
0: brag slide right there, and now we'll open it up, I guess, for questions. You've been in the practice as an athletic trainer for 15 years. You have been with Memorial Harmon in roughly this position for nine years or something similar. What were you doing for the first uh, six years as a professional?
1: Let's see. I started my career as an athletic trainer in 2005. I, I did my undergrad and uh, was a four-year letterman on the football team at Louisiana College. So I graduated in December of 05 uh, with my Bachelor's of Science in Athletic Training, and I got on locally with an outreach group with Christa St. Francis Cabrini Hospital in Alexandria, Louisiana, and I worked, <clears throat> excuse me, I worked with them for about three years. Uh, during that time, I had a very similar role as what I have now. I was a head athletic trainer for a for an independent minor league baseball team uh, called the Alexandria Aces. And then during the off season, I worked as an outreach athletic trainer through all of this was through Christus. I had seven schools that are rotated between, you know, your pretty, pretty traditional outreach role. So I did that for two years. And then I went back to Louisiana college as the assistant athletic trainer for a year Uh, still contracted through Christus, and at that point, after that year, I decided I'd finally wanted to go back to grad school, so I started looking into schools, and I got uh, got a GA spot at the University of Houston, so in the summer of 2008, I quit my job, moved to Houston, and went back to school, and it was a fantastic experience. Go Cougs! So I was a GA for two years. My first year, I worked with cross-country, men's and women's cross-country track and field. Second year, I was football, baseball. And then after that GA spot was finished, I was full-time baseball for a year and a half at U of H. And then that brought me to Memorial Hermann at uh, in January of 2012.
0: Right. In your physician extender setting, when you're in Louisiana, were you doing the evals? Cause when you were talking about your, your role currently in the physician practice setting, you said you'll go in, you'll talk to the patient, you'll do the exam or the evaluation. And so I'm just thinking as a, as a new graduate, you would be pretty nervous going into a doctor's office, evaluating a patient, and then basically all of the decisions are resting on your shoulders. So so were you in that position before or that was just part of the new role? No, I was
1: I didn't I didn't start working in the the physician extender or, or clinic role until working with Memorial Herman. So Dr Dr. Bajani and I when, when we first started working Skeeters together, we had started tossing around the idea of putting an athletic trainer in clinic. It wasn't a new idea per se, it was just new to us. Um, but no, we're, I, I wanna say it was 2014 or 2015, I don't remember when we actually started, but that was the first time that i had started working in clinic. Uh, but early on with Christus, I didn't have those experiences. Anytime that I would go in the room with a physician it would be to bring one of my athletes in, but the physician would only perform the exam at that point.
0: I know you said there's sometimes where the patients say, hey, I just want to see Dr. Bajani. Um, how, how often do you feel like that occurs right now?
1: You know, it, it wouldn't really be that often. Uh, I would say more times I get the... Like I said, I get the face like, you're not, you're not Dr. Mandola. You're not, but uh, it it really didn't happen that often. Um, Maybe, maybe once a month or so. Uh, But it, it was more of the patient kind of just being surprised of somebody walking in the room and it not being the doctor
0: have these patients previously seen the doctor or it's just that you introduce yourself as Max when they're expecting Vijani? Both.
1: So some of these patients were new patients. Some obviously were established patients. Uh, I would say if it was an established patient and then I walked in, never, never have been seen before, they were probably more surprised or a little more timid. <clears throat> it was, excuse me, if it was a, if it was a student-athlete from one of our local schools, parents really didn't bat an eye about it because they most of them at least know who who the school athletic trainer is or what an athletic trainer does. Uh, I'd probably say it was more the patient that was, that was already established with the physician that didn't know or wasn't familiar with what an AT is or what we do. Just to, to see that different face walk in and not be the doctor.
0: So right along those same thoughts. So the confusion of what an athletic trainer is and what athletic trainer does, you know, obviously it's kind of lost on us because this is what we do. This is what we've been doing for 15, 20 years. Right. But does an athletic trainer stepping into the doctor's office doing the exam, does that confuse the public's perception of who an athletic trainer is and what they, what they do?
1: I think sometimes. Uh, I I do remember, I do recall having some patients when I would walk in, hey, my name is Max, I'm the athletic trainer that works here with Dr. Bajani, and they're like, well, what does that mean? I said, well, I help him out with all of his orthopedic type of things, and then usually when I would say that, it would click for them, oh, I didn't know an athletic trainer did that, or oh, I didn't know an AT could work work in a doctor's office. Or if they were weary, if they were kind of weary about this non-doctor coming in the room, whenever I would say I help him with all of his orthopedic cases, usually that would click fine for them.
0: You mentioned difficult and rude patients. So if I if I have a you know a high school kid that's being just a turd, then it's easy enough for me to say, hey buddy, why don't you just step outside? Um, and when you're ready to talk to me normally, you know you can come back in. That kind of thing. And there's a lot of athletic trainers who are kind of like part of the old school mentality. Like, all right, well, you're going to have to do a hundred ups cause you're being rude to me or all right, well, I'm gonna tell your coach, that kind of thing. All right. And you know, then there's the new thought where we're healthcare providers. We're not there to punish them. And so it's kind of a mix. So how do you deal with those rude or difficult patients in the physician's practice setting?
1: Yeah. In the, in the clinic setting, it's, it's definitely a lot different. Uh, you have to remember that not only not only are they your patient, but they're paying customers. You know, you're not saying that you have to let them walk all over you, but you have to remember that you know, they're hurting, they're sick. You might, you may be catching them at a bad time right now. Try not to take it personally, but if there is a rude or difficult patient, at first I just try to sit back, listen, make eye contact, listen to what they have to say, uh, respond to what they have to say. And then if they still don't want to see me, that's fine. Or if they're still being difficult to the point where it's it's just rude, then you, you remove yourself from the situation. There have been times where I've had to step out of a room because a patient was being difficult or rude. And I just step, I remove myself and I tell doc, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm not going back in there. <laughs> you know, I don't say that in front of the patient, but, you know, I go out and be like, doc, you know, this is what we got. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going back in there and no, no problem from there.
0: You mentioned the CPT codes, the value model. So in your example, so six months, it was, again, on the billable so y'all use that nine seven one one zero therapeutic exercise for fifteen minutes code, right? And you and that showed that the value of an athletic trainer in that setting was fifteen thousand dollars over six months, so 30000 $30, dollars roughly a year, right? So in in that vein or in that thought, is is that what an athletic trainer is actually worth? Is that what an athletic trainer should be tra- paid? in the physician practice setting.
1: No, I, I don't think if, if you look at it that way, uh, our example for, for the year was around $35,000. No, I don't think that that's that shows the salary value or the worth of the athletic trainer. But in, in some settings where an athletic trainer is being placed in clinic, the the clinic would be responsible for part of their salary and the athletic trainer's supervisor or cost center would be part of their salary. So if you look at, let's just say an athletic trainer, uh, let's just say I, I made $60,000 as an outreach athletic trainer, then that covers half that athletic trainer salary right there uh, in, a, in a situation where, They would be responsible for the full salary. No, I I don't think that nearly covers what an athletic trainer would be worth. Uh, Like I said, I would like to see what those numbers would be over that full year, uh, a full time, and also not just using the 97110 code for HEPs, but also the codes for – uh, the evaluation codes. I don't know what that one is off the top of my head, but you can also bill for the athletic trainer's time to evaluate that patient. Uh, and those numbers were not included in the the figures that we gave. The figures that we had were just the patients that we gave the home exercise programs to. So I think that number could be a lot higher if you add that in. Um, so. I, I, to answer your question, no, I don't think that's what an AT is worth, but I I think that number could be a lot higher on a full-time basis.
0: Right. I mean, obviously I don't think any athletic trainer should work for $30,000 unless you're only working part-time, right? So, you know, if your full salary would be 60 and 30 is like your halftime salary. Okay. That'll work. But you know, it's important for us to understand to be able to have these conversations. If we're going to go into the physician practice setting We've talked with Forrest Pekka. You mentioned his study. Actually, we talked to him on the podcast before, um, maybe two years ago, something like that. I think he may have been even at one of the live events at NATA, something like that. Uh, Josh Yellen at U of H introduced me to Forrest, and we talked about the physician extender, the value model, the hospital athletic trainer, and then recently Todd Sable in Las Vegas talked with uh, Joe Green about billable uh, third-party reimbursement and those kind of things. So it's definitely a topic to look into for any athletic trainer wanting to move to the physician practice setting because like you said it is more set hours. You may have Saturday clinic. I know you know Memorial Herman and Houston methodist have Saturday injury clinics um during football season for the Houston area, that kind of thing. And so you may have to work Saturdays for 10 weeks. But usually that they're going to adjust the schedule some way. Okay, well, maybe you have Monday off or or something like that. Or you you know that you're going, you know, 9 to 6 today or you're going, you know, 7 to 3 today kind of thing. Um, And then you definitely, you're getting to work with the doctors hand in hand saying, hey, how did you see this? Why did you see this? Let me see that imaging. And so those times where I've gone to a Saturday injury clinic just to kind of hang out and watch and, you know, learn from Crumbie, then I get to see okay, this is why they chose this. This is what he's looking at. This is what he's looking for. And it helps me grow as a professional as well. You mentioned the patient satisfaction survey. So what does that kind of look like? And what are some of the feedback that you have personally seen or been made uh, privy to from those?
1: So I've never I've never seen the survey that they send out. Uh, that's that was, that was a, a quote, uh, maybe not a direct quote, but that came from the practice manager at that time and the physician saying that they got increased patient satisfaction from their surveys. So I don't know what that survey looks like, but things that I've seen personally are patients, uh, you know, on their way, like on their way out, you know, they go back to the front uh, to go check out, but as they're on their way out stopping and saying, Hey, thank you. We really appreciate the time that you spent to explain A, B, and C, or the time that you spent to show us how to do those exercises instead of just handing us a handout. Uh, you can you can tell by the demeanor of their person that they really are thankful for the time that you put into that.
0: Uh, I went to Erasti um, in for several times just to to, to get something worked out, but. One of the things that they do at the end of every visit, they have a tablet where you answer like three questions like, are you better than you were when you came in? Yes. How satisfied are you with care? Do you understand what's going to be what the follow up care plan is or whatever, something like that. So it's I think it was like three questions and it was super simple. And, you know, as we talk so much about patient reported outcome measures and um, those type of things here on the podcast is just one of those things that I'm thinking, how how can that work in the, in the athletic training setting? So I want to make sure that the, the athletes are satisfied. And I think one of the things that we can do is talk about the goals. And we talked about that just this week on the, on the podcast, Um, you know, setting goals and rehab and things like that. So tell me a little bit more about your time with the Sugarland Skeeters, and then we'll probably wrap it up. So. so.
1: Okay. Yeah. Working, working with the Skeeters has been fantastic. Uh, You know, I've been fortunate in, In the 15 years that I've been an athletic trainer, I've been fortunate to work at a professional level 11 of those seasons. Uh, Nine of those years have been with the Skeeters. Uh, They were a brand new team that played their first season in 2012. So I got to be a part of the inaugural season and be with them since the beginning. And just to watch watch that club grow, from what it was in 2012 has been has been fantastic so the skeeters played in an independent league called the atlantic league of professional baseball and the atlantic league is basically an eight-team league mostly comprised of teams on the east coast upper east coast Uh, and it is known as a veteran league uh, a league to get guys back into affiliated baseball. So there are several different independent leagues throughout the country. And from what I understand, the Atlantic League is, is one of the higher known, uh, higher talented leagues. So the goal of the player in the Atlantic League is to get back to affiliated ball. These guys are mostly veterans. They have played in Double A or higher at some point in their career. Uh, I actually actually have some numbers that the Skeeters just put out. Over the eight or nine seasons, I'm not sure if they included 2020 in these numbers or not because we did something a little different, but there have been 291 players that have played for the Skeeters over uh, the last eight or nine seasons, and 123 of those players have major league time. So... Uh, we're we're looking at a lot of veteran guys, and the Skeeters over the last several years have have been known for players signing signing with affiliated teams and getting back into affiliate ball and kind of um, resurging or revamping their career. And that's you know that's our goal. You know it on one hand it sinks because we lose all our good players during the season, but that's that's our goal is to get guys get guys out of there and get them back into affiliate ball. So I'm sure I'm sure it's pretty widely known now that the Astros have now become majority owner of the Skeeters and the Skeeters will play as their AAA affiliate starting in 2021, so that's very exciting news for the Skeeters. That's something that they've worked on for for several years. Um, the ownership for the Skeeters, you know, they did a great job with that, the Zlotniks, and uh, you know, it's it, it's just a really exciting time right now to be to be a part of that. But working with the Skeeters, I got to see. I got to see a wide variety of of talent and uh, demographic of players. Uh, the age demographic was anywhere from 22 to 42. Uh, the, like I said, the majority of the guys that we had come through there are veteran guys, triple uh, A, AA, big league guys. We've got guys that have been all-stars. We've had guys that have um, – had multiple years in the big leagues. We've got guys that have got World Series rings, uh, multiple World Series rings, um, good, real good veteran guys that, that are true students of the game and professionals of the game. And that's I've been really fortunate to be around that type of, that caliber of player. And also the, uh, the demographic of where the players are from so there, it's not just Americans, you know, the, uh, professional baseball or baseball in general has a large Latin community. And so we we have a lot of players that have come through that have been for, through uh, Mexican leagues, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, uh, Costa Rica. Uh, you know, we've, we've had players from Japan. We've had players that have come and played in, Professionally in Australia and Italy, all over the world, and that's to to me that's just a really cool thing to to have all those players come from all these places, uh, you know, to come play the play the game of baseball. It's it's a really cool thing for me.
0: All right, so it's always fun to just hear the stories and kind of how people got to where they are. Um, so Max, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, ask you some more questions about your setting or, you know right now COVID everything's still changing but so next year the year after maybe I want to bring my kids out to a Sugarland Skeeters AAA game uh and maybe get a tour of the athletic training facility something like that how can somebody reach out to you
1: yeah best way to reach me is probably just my work email Uh, I am on Facebook if you want to try and find me there I'm not huge on social media but I do have a Facebook account Uh, but my my Memorial Hermit email is Max dot at MemorialHerman dot and there are two n's at the end of Herman. So it's just my first name dot last name at MemorialHerman
0: and I'll have that in the show notes as well, so you can get a hold of Max again. Just asking him about his time, his experience. Maybe you have just one thing we didn't answer. You can reach out to him. That way, I'll have that there. Of course, on social media, I am Mr. Jeremy Jackson. Reach out to me, and I can connect you. Or if you want to find me on Facebook, I should be Mr. Jeremy Jackson. You can connect us. I can connect you, forward you to Max that way as well. Just somebody else I like to always point people to is Frio Hydration with the, with the hands-free watering stations. Those, those are really cool. And actually, I think that's something that I'm going to buy some more of, even if we're not worried about Corona next year, because not— having those football players get their dirty, sweaty hands all over the mouthpiece was super valuable to me. And so it's something that I think that moving forward, I'm going to try to go with only hands-free stations. And they're doing a fantastic job right now with Frio Hydration, creating those and getting those out, uh, working hard. They're super busy, uh, just orders from all over the place with those things. So check out Frio Hydration and get you some hands-free stations to help prevent the spread of disease in the future. Max, you're gonna leave them with one tip, one caution, something like that. One final thought about the physician extender setting. What's that gonna be?
1: Never stop learning. Always, always take uh, take in the information. If you have a chance to watch a physician do uh, an examination, or if you get a chance to look over his shoulder, his or her shoulder, while they're looking at x-ray, MRI, ultrasound, injections, be a sponge. Cause I, I learned a lot, a lot of information from those docs that I worked with.
0: Yeah. I, I mentioned that during, uh, while you were talking, you know, how, how about how I would go and watch Dr. Crumby or I've gone into surgeries and I've mentioned it multiple times before. I'm a weenie, like, Every time I go into surgery, I have to go in and then walk back out, catch my breath because that smell of the burning flesh and that kind of stuff and just it overwhelms me. So but when I'm in there, you know, the doctors are always like, hey, Jeremy, check this out. Look at this. Look, this is why we're doing this. So it really is so cool. So what's one thing that you're learning right now? What what's a topic that you like? I really need to learn about this. The most
1: recent, the most recent thing that I did and learned about is, but right before everything shut down in February, I went and got my dry needling certification done, and I would, I would like to to kind of flesh that skill out some more because I just I did the basic class through structure and function. Uh, if you're familiar with Sue Falsoni and her work, and uh, so I did the the structure and function, dry needling, one course, and they that was just the tip of the iceberg of of all the stuff that they have, uh, not only through dry needling, but myofascial manipulation, soft tissue t- excuse me, soft tissue mobilization, strength and conditioning. Uh, if you get a chance to check that out, it's great, but that's that's something that that I'd like to
0: to kind of dive deeper into. All right. Very good. Very good. Max, thanks so much for joining us here on the sports medicine broadcast. This is again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash emerging settings, because that's where Max is working. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash emerging settings. So for Max Mahaffey, which you can email him if you got more questions, me, which is Jeremy Jackson and the sports medicine broadcast. That is a wrap. Thanks. Thank you.